book three chapters nine and ten of the fatal three by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine marked by fate it was nearly ten o'clock when mildred drove through the village of enderby and saw the lights burning in the familiar cottage windows the post-office and the little fancy shop where lola had been so constant a purchaser in the days gone by her eyes were full of tears as she looked at the humble street happy tears for her heart thrilled with hope as she drew near home he cannot withhold his forgiveness she told herself he knows that i acted for conscience sake five minutes more and she was standing in the hall questioning the footman who stared at her with a bewildered air as the most unexpected of visitors is your master at home she asked yes ma'am master's in the library shall i announce you no no i can find him help my maid to take my things to my room yes ma'am have you dined or shall i tell cook to get something ready no no i have dined she answered hurriedly and went on to the library to that very room in which she had made the fatal discovery of fay's identity with her husband's first wife he was sitting in the lamplight just as he was sitting that night when she fell fainting at his feet the windows were open to the summer night books were scattered about on the table and heaped on the floor by his side whatever comfort there may be in such company he had surrounded himself with that comfort he took no notice of the opening of the door and she was kneeling at his feet before he knew that she was in the room mildred what does this mean have we not parted often enough there was no reason for our parting except my mistaken belief i am here to stay with you till my death if you will have me george be merciful to me my dearest i have acted for conscience sake i have been fooled deluded by appearances which might have deceived any one however wise forgive me george forgive me for the sake of all i have suffered in doing what i thought to be my duty he lifted her from her knees took her to his heart without a word and kissed her there was a silence of some moments in which each could hear the throbbing of the other's heart you were wrong after all then he said at last vivian was not your half-sister she was not whose child was she you must not ask me that george it is a secret which i ought not to tell even to you she was cruelly used poor girl more cruelly even than i thought she had been when i believed she was my father's daughter i have undeniable evidence as to her parentage she was my blood relation but she was not my sister how did you make the discovery by accident this afternoon at the hook i found some papers and letters of my father's in a cupboard below the bookcase i knew nothing of their existence should never have thought of searching for private papers there for i had heard my father often say that he kept only magazines and pamphlets things he called rubbish in those cupboards i wanted to put away some things and i stumbled on a packet of letters which revealed the secret of fay's birth i can come back to my duty with a clear conscience may i stay with you george may you well yes i suppose so with another kiss and a tender little laugh one cannot make a broken vase new again but we may pick up the pieces and stick them together again somehow you have taken a good many years out of my life mildred and i doubt if you can give them back to me i feel twenty years older than i felt before the beginning of this trouble but now all is known and you are my wife again well there may be a few years of gladness for us yet we will make the most of them all things dropped back into the old grooves at enderby manor 
mrs greswold and her husband were seen together at church on the sunday morning after mildred's return much to the astonishment of the congregation who immediately began to disbelieve in all their own convictions and assertions of the past half-year and to opine that the lady had only been in the south for her health more especially as it was known that miss ransom had been her travelling companion if she had quarrelled with her husband she would hardly have had her husband's niece with her all the time said mrs porter the doctor's wife but if there was no quarrel why did he shut himself up like a hermit and look so wretched if one happened to meet him asked somebody else well there she is anyhow and she looks out of health so you may depend some london physician ordered her abroad they might as well have consulted porter who ought to know her constitution by this time he'd have ordered her to ventnor for the winter and save them both a good deal of trouble but there people never think they can be cured without going to cavendish square mildred's strength seemed to fail her more in the happiness of that unhoped-for reunion than it had ever done during her banishment she wanted to do so much at enderby to visit about among her shabby genteel old ladies and her cottagers in the cloudless time before lola's death to superintend her garden to visit old friends whose faces were endeared by fond association with the past to be everywhere with her husband walking with him in the copses riding about the farms and on the edge of the forest in the dewy summer mornings she wanted to do all these things and she found that her strength would not let her i hope that my health is not going to give way just when i'm so happy she said to her husband one day when she felt almost fainting after their morning ride he took alarm instantly and set off for mr porter though mildred made light of her feelings next moment the family practitioner sounded her with the usual professional gravity but his face grew more serious as he listened to the beating of her heart he affected however to think very little of her ailments talked of nerves and suggested bromide of something as if it were infallible but when george greswold went out into the hall with him he owned that all was not right the heart is weak he said i hope there may be no organic mischief but you mean that i shall lose her interrupted greswold in a husky whisper his own heart was beating like the tolling of a church bell beating with a dull heavy stroke of despair no no i don't think there's any immediate danger but i should like you to take higher advice clark or jenner perhaps of course i will send for someone at once the very thing to alarm her she ought to be kept free from all possible anxiety or excitement don't let her ride except in the quietest way or walk far enough to fatigue herself you might take her up to town for a few days on the pretence of seeing picture galleries or something and then coax her to consult a physician just for your satisfaction make as light as you can of her complaint yes yes i understand oh god that it should be so after all when i thought i had come to the end of sorrow this in an undertone for pity's sake porter tell me the worst you think it a bad case porter shook his head tried to speak grasped george greswold's hand and made for the door mr and mrs greswold had been his patients and friends for the last fifteen years and in his rough way he was devoted to them see jenner as soon as you can he said it is a very delicate case i would rather not hazard an opinion george greswold went out to the lawn where he had sat on the sunday evening before lola's death it had been summer then and it was summer now the time of roses before the song of the nightingale had ceased amidst the seclusion of twilight branches 
he sat down upon the bench under the cedar and gave himself up to his despair he had tasted again the sweet cup of domestic peace he had been gladdened again by the only companionship that had ever filled his heart and now in the near future he saw the prospect of another parting and this time without hope on earth once again he told himself that he was marked out by fate i suppose it must always be so he thought in the lots that fall from the urn there must be some that are all of one colour black black as night mildred came out to the lawn with him followed by cassandra who had deserted the master for the mistress since her return as if in a delight mixed with fear lest she should again depart what has become of you george i thought you were coming back to the morning-room directly and it is nearly an hour since mr porter went away i came into the garden to-to see your new shrubbery did you really how good of you it is hardly to be called a new shrubbery only a little addition to the old one it will give an idea of distance when the shrubs are good enough to grow tall and thick will you come with me and tell me what you think of it gladly dear if it will not tire you tire me to walk to the shrubbery no i am not quite so bad as that though i find i am a bad walker compared with what i used to be i dare say i am out of training i could walk any distance at brighton last autumn a long walk on the road to rottingdean was my only distraction but at palanza i began to flag and the hotel people were always suggesting drives so i got out of the habit of walking he had his hand through her arm and drew her near him as they sauntered across the lawn with a hopeless wonder at the thought that she was here at his side close to his heart all in all to him to-day and that the time might soon come when she would have melted out of his life as that fair daughter had done when the grave under the tree should mean a double desolation an everlasting despair is there any world where we shall be together again he asked himself what is immortality worth to me if it does not mean reunion to go round upon the endless wheel of eternity to be fixed into the universal life to be a part of the creator himself nothing in a life to come can be gained to me if it do not give me back what i have lost they dawdled about the shrubbery man and wife arm linked with arm looking at the new plantings one by one she speculating how many years each tree would take to come to perfection they will make a very good effect in three or four years george don't you think so that picea nobilis will fill the open space yonder we have allowed ten feet clear on every side the golden brooms grow only too quickly how serious you look are you thinking of anything that makes you anxious i am thinking of pamela and her sweetheart i should like to make lady lochinvar's acquaintance before the marriage shall i ask her here she could hardly come i fancy while the wedding is on the tapis i propose that you and i should go up to london to-morrow put up at our old hotel we shall be more independent there than at grosvenor gardens and spend a few days quietly seeing a good deal of the picture galleries and a little of our new connections and of rosalind and her husband whom we don't often see would you like to do that mildred i like anything you like i delight in seeing pictures with you and i shall be glad to see rosalind and if pamela really wishes us to be present at her wedding i think we ought to be there don't you george if you would like it dearest if he left the sentence unfinished fearing to betray his apprehension till he had consulted the highest authorities in the land he felt that he could know but little of that hidden malady which paled her cheek and gave heaviness to the pathetic eyes 
they were in cavendish square husband and wife on the morning after their arrival in town by special appointment with the physician mildred submitted meekly to a careful consultation only for his own satisfaction her husband told her making light of his anxiety i want you to be governed by the best possible advice dearest in the care of your health you don't think there is danger george that i am to be taken away from you just when all our secrets and sorrows are over indeed no dearest god grant you may be spared to me for many happy years to come there is no reason i think that it should not be so mr porter said my complaint was chiefly nervous he would not wonder at my nerves being in a poor way if he knew how i suffered in those bitter days of banishment the examination was long and serious yet conducted by the physician with such gentle bonhomie as not to alarm the patient when it was over he dismissed her with a kindly smile after advice given upon very broad lines after the question of diet which i have written for you here he said handing her a half-sheet of paper the only other treatment i can counsel is self-indulgence never walk far enough to feel tired or fast enough to be out of breath live as much as possible in the open air but let your life out of doors be the sweet idleness of the sunny south rather than our ideal bustling hurrying british existence court repose tranquillity for body and mind in all things you mean that i am to be an invalid for the rest of my life as my poor mother was for five years before her death at what age did your mother die thirty-four for a long time the doctors would hardly say what was the matter with her she suffered terribly from palpitation of the heart as i have done for the last six months but the doctors made light of it and told my father there was very little amiss towards the end they changed their opinion and owned that there was organic disease nothing they could do for her seemed of much use mildred went back to the waiting-room while her husband had an interview with the doctor an interview which left him but the faintest hope only the hope of prolonging a fading life she may last for years perhaps said the physician pitying the husband's silent agony but it would be idle to disguise her state she will never be strong again she must not ride or drive or occupy herself in any way that can involve violent exertion or a shock to the nerves cherish her as a hothouse flower and she may be with you for some time yet god bless you even for that hope said greswold and then he spoke of his niece's wedding and the wish for mildred's presence no harm in a wedding i think if you are careful of her no over-exertion no agitating scenes the wedding may cheer her and prevent her brooding on her own state good day i shall be glad to know the effect of my prescription and to see mrs greswold again in a month or two if she is strong enough to come to london if you want me at any time in the country you will come will you not remember she is all that is precious to me upon this earth if i lose her i lose everything send for me at any time if it is possible for me to go to you i will go chapter ten like a tale that is told pamela's wedding was one of the most successful functions of the london season and the society papers described the ceremony with a fullness of detail which satisfied even the bride's avidity for social fame mr smithson sent her gown just an hour before it had to make its reverence before the altar in the abbey and pamela who had been in an almost hysterical agony for an hour and a half lest she should have no gown in which to be married owned as she pirouetted before the cheval glass that the fit was worth the suspense 
the ladies who write fashion articles in the two social arbiters were rapturous about mr smithson's chef-d'oeuvre and gave glowing accounts of certain trousseau gowns which they had been privileged to review at an afternoon tea in grosvenor gardens a week before the event pamela's delight in these paragraphs was intensified by the idea that cesar castellani would read them though it is hardly likely that listless skimmer of modern literature went so deep as fashion articles he will see at least that if he had married me he would not have married quite a nobody said pamela in a summer reverie upon the blue water in front of the hook where she and her husband dawdled about in a punt nearly all day expatiating upon each other's merits and so floats this light bark gaily into a safe and placid haven out of reach of privateer or pirate such as the incomparable castellani it was not until after pamela's wedding and nearly a month after mildred's discovery of the letters in the bookcase that miss fawcett made any sign but one august morning her reply came in the shape of a letter entreating mildred to go to her as an act of charity to one whose sands had nearly run out i will not sue to you in forma pauperis she wrote so i do not pretend that i am a dying woman but i believe i have not very long to live and before my voice is mute upon earth i want to tell you the history of one year of my girlhood i want you to know that i am not altogether the kind of sinner you may think me i will not write that history and if you refuse to come to me i must die and leave it untold and in that case my deathbed will be miserable mildred's gentle heart could not harden itself against such an appeal as this she told her husband only that her aunt was very ill and ardently desired to see her and after some discussion it was arranged that she should travel quietly to brighton he going with her he suggested that they should stop in miss fawcett's house for a night or two but mildred told him she would much prefer to stay at an hotel so it was decided that they should put up at the quiet hotel on the east cliff where mr greswold had taken pamela nearly a year before mildred's health had improved under the physician's regime and her husband felt hopeful as they travelled together through the summer landscape by that line which she had travelled in her desolation the level landscape with glimpses of blue sea and stretches of grey beach or yellow sand bright in the august noontide george greswold had respected mildred's reserve and had never urged her to enlighten him as to the secret of his first wife's parentage but he had his ideas upon the subject and remembering his interview with the solicitor and that gentleman's perturbation at the name of fawcett he was inclined to think that the pious lady of lewes crescent might not be unconcerned in the mystery and now this summons to brighton seemed to confirm his suspicions he went no further than miss fawcett's threshold and allowed his wife to go to her aunt alone i shall walk up and down and wait till you come out again he said so i hope that you won't stay too long he was anxious to limit an interview which might involve agitation for mildred he parted from her almost reluctantly at the doorway of the gloomy house with its entrance hall of the pattern of forty years ago furnished with barometer umbrella stand and tall chairs all in spanish mahogany and with never a picture or a bust bronze or porcelain to give light and colour to the scene miss fawcett had changed for the worse even in the brief interval since mildred had last seen her she was sitting in the back drawing-room as usual but her table and chair had been wheeled into the bay window which commanded a garden with a single tree and a variety of housetops and dead walls so you have come she said without any form of greeting i hardly expected so much from you sit down there if you please i have a good deal to tell you i had intended never to enter your house again aunt but i could not refuse to hear anything you have to say in your own justification only there is one act of yours which you can never justify either to me or to god 
what is that pray your refusal to tell me the secret of fay's birth when my happiness and my husband's depended upon my knowing it to tell you that would have been to betray my own secret do you think after keeping it for nine-and-thirty years i was likely to surrender it lightly i would sooner have cut my tongue out i did what i could for you i told you to ignore idle prejudice and to go back to your husband i told you what was due from you to him over and above all sanctimonious scruples you would not listen to me and whatever misery you have suffered has been misery of your own creation do not let us talk any more about it aunt i can never think differently about the wrong you have done me had i not found those letters by the merest accident remember i might have gone down to my grave a desolate woman i might have died in a foreign land far away from the only voice that could comfort me in my last hours no my opinion of your guilty silence can never change you were willing to break two hearts rather than hazard your own reputation and yet you must have known that i would keep your secret that i should sympathize with the sorrow of your girlhood added mildred in softened tones miss fawcett was slow in replying mildred's reproaches fell almost unheeded upon her ear it was of herself she was thinking with all the egotism engendered by a lonely old age without ties of kindred or friendship with no society but that of flatterers and parasites i asked you if you had found any letters of your father's relating to that unhappy girl she said i always feared his habit of keeping letters a habit he learned from my father yet i hoped that he would have burnt mine knowing as he did that the one desire of my life was to obliterate that hideous past vain hope i was like the ostrich if i hid my secret in england it was known in italy the man who destroyed my life was a traitor to the core of his heart and he betrayed me to his son he told cesar how he had fascinated a rich english girl and fooled her with mock marriage and fifteen years ago the young man presented himself to me with the full knowledge of that dark blot upon my life to me here where i had held my head so high he let me know the full extent of his knowledge in his own subtle fashion but he always treated me with profound respect he pretended to be fond of me and god help me there was a charm for me in the very sound of his voice the man who cheated me out of my life's happiness was lying in his grave death lessens the bitterness of hatred and i could not forget that i had once loved him the tears gathered slowly in the cold grey eyes and rolled slowly down the hollow cheeks yes i loved him mildred loved him with a foolish inexperienced girl's romantic love i asked no questions i believed all he told me i flung myself blindfold into the net his genius his grace his fire ah you can never imagine the charm of his manner the variety of his talent compared with which his son's accomplishments are paltry you see me now a hard elderly woman as a girl i was warm-hearted and impetuous full of enthusiasm and imagination while i loved and believed in my lover my whole nature changed after that great wrong my heart was frozen there was a silence of some moments and then miss fawcett continued in short agitated sentences her fingers fidgeting nervously with the double eyeglass which she wore on a slender gold chain it was his genius i worshipped he was at the height of his success the milanese raved about him as a rival to donizetti his operas were the rage 
can you wonder that i a girl passionately fond of music was carried away by the excitement which was in the very air i breathed i went to the opera night after night i heard that fascinating music till its melodies seemed interwoven with my being i suppose i was weak enough to let the composer see how much i admired him he had quarrelled with his wife and the quarrel caused by his own misconduct had resulted in a separation which was supposed to be permanent there may have been people in milan who knew that he was a married man but my chaperone did not and he was careful to suppress the fact from the beginning of our acquaintance yes no doubt he found out that i was madly in love with him he pretended to be interested in my musical studies he advised and taught me he played the violin divinely and we used to play contretante duets during the long evenings while my chaperone dozed by the fire caring very little how i amused myself so long as i did not interfere with her comfort she was a sensual selfish creature given over to self-indulgence and she let me have my own way in everything he used to join me at the cathedral at vespers how my heart thrilled when i found him there sitting in the shadowy chancel in the grey november light for i knew it was for my sake he went there not from any religious feeling our hands used to meet and clasp each other almost unconsciously when the music moved us as it went soaring up to the gorgeous roof in the dim light of the hanging lamps before the altar i have found myself kneeling with my hand in his when i came out of a dream of paradise to which that exquisite music had lifted me yes i loved him mildred i loved him as well as ever you loved your husband as passionately and unselfishly as woman ever loved i rejoiced in the thought that i was rich for his sake i planned the life that we were to live together a life in which i was to be subordinate to him in all things his adoring slave i suppose most girls have some such dream god help them when it ends as mine did again there was a silence a chilling muteness upon mildred's part how could she be sorry for this woman who had never been sorry for others who had let her child travel from the cradle to the grave without one ray of maternal love to light her dismal journey she remembered fay's desolate life and blighted nature fay who had a heart large enough for a great unselfish love she remembered her aunt's impenetrable silence when a word would have restored happiness to a ruined home she remembered and her heart was hardened against this proud selfish woman whose life had been one long sacrifice to the world's opinion i loved him mildred and i trusted him as i would have trusted any man who had the right to call himself a gentleman pursued miss fawcett eager to justify herself in the face of that implacable silence i had been brought up after the fashion of those days in a state of primeval innocence i had never even in fiction been allowed to come face to face with the cruel realities of life i was educated in an age which thought jane eyre an improper novel and which restricted a young woman's education to music and modern languages the latter taught so badly for the most part as to be useless when she travelled my knowledge of italian would just enable me to translate a libretto when i had it before me in print or to ask my way in the streets but it was hardly enough to make me understand the answer it never entered into my mind to doubt paolo castellani when he told me that although we could not as papist and protestant be married in any church in milan we could be united by a civil marriage before milanese authority and that such a marriage would be binding all the world over had i been a poor girl i might of my own instinct have suspected treachery but i was rich and he was poor and he would be a gainer by our marriage 
servants and governesses had impressed me with the sense of my own importance and i knew that i was what is called a good match so i fell into the trap mildred as foolishly as a snared bird i crept out of the house one morning after my music lesson found my lover waiting for me with a carriage close by went with him to a dingy office in a dingy street but which had a sufficiently official air to satisfy my ignorance and went through a certain formula hearing something read over by an elderly man of grave appearance and signing my name to a document after paolo had signed his it was all a sham and a cheat mildred the old man was a milanese attorney with no more power to marry us than he had to make us immortal the paper was a deed of gift by which paolo castellani transferred some imaginary property to me the whole thing was a farce but it was so cleverly planned that the cheat was effected without the aid of an accomplice the old man acted in all good faith and my blind confidence and ignorance of italian accepted a common legal formality as a marriage i went from that dark little office into the spring sunshine happy as ever bride went out of church kissed and complimented by a throng of approving friends i cared very little as to what my brother might think of this clandestine marriage he would have refused his consent beforehand no doubt but he would reconcile himself to the inevitable by and by in any event i should be independent of his control my fortune would be at my own disposal after my one-and-twentieth birthday mine to throw into my husband's lap that is nearly the end of my story mildred we went from milan to como and after a few days at bellagio crossed the st gothard and sauntered from one lovely scene to another till we stopped at vevey for just six weeks i lived in a fool's paradise but by that time my brother had traced us to vevey having learnt all that could be learnt about castellani at milan before he started in pursuit of us he came and my dream ended i knew that i was a dishonoured woman and that all my education my innate pride in myself and my fortune had done for me was to place me as low as the lowest creature in the land i left vevey within an hour of that revelation a broken-hearted woman i never saw my destroyer's face again you know all mildred now can you wonder that i shrank with abhorrence from the offspring of my disgrace that i refused ever to see her after i had once released myself from the hateful tie yes i do wonder i must always wonder that you were merciless to her that you had no pity for that innocent life ah you are your father's daughter he wished me to hide myself in some remote village so that i might taste the sweets of maternal affection enjoy the blessed privilege of rearing a child who at every instant of her life would remind me of the miserable infatuation that had blighted my own no mildred i was not made for such an existence as that i have tried to do good to others i have laboured for god's church and god's poor that has been my atonement it would have been a better atonement to have cared for your own flesh and blood but with your means and opportunities you might have done both i loved fay remember aunt i cannot forget how bright and happy she might have been i cannot forget the wrongs that warped her nature you are very hard mildred hard to a woman whose days are numbered are not my days numbered aunt cried mildred with a sudden burst of passion was not my heart broken when i left this house last year to go into loneliness and exile abandoning a husband i adored that parting was my death-blow in all the long dreary days that have gone by since then my hold upon life has been loosening you might have saved me that agony 
you might have sent me back to my home rejoicing and you would not you cared more for your own pride than for my happiness you might have made your daughter's life happy and you would not you cared more for the world's esteem than for her welfare as you sacrificed her your daughter you have sacrificed me your niece i know that i am doomed just when god has given me back the love that makes life precious i feel the hand of death upon me and know that the hour of parting is near i have been a sinner mildred but i have suffered i have suffered you ought not to judge me you have never known shame that last appeal softened mildred's heart she went over to her aunt's chair and leant over and kissed her let the past be forgotten she said and let us part in love and so a quarter of an hour later they parted never to meet again on earth miss fawcett died in the early winter cut off by the first frost like a delicate flower she had made no change in the disposal of her property and her death made mildred greswold a very rich woman my aunt loved the poor said mildred when she and her husband spoke of this increase of wealth we are both so much richer than our needs george we have lived in sunshine for the most part when i am gone i should like you to do some great thing for those who live in shadow my beloved i shall remain upon this earth only to obey your will he lived just long enough to keep his promise the greswold hospital remains a monument of thoughtful beneficence in one of the most wretched neighbourhoods south of the thames but george greswold and his race are ended like a tale that is told cesar castellani enriched by a legacy from miss fawcett contrives still to flourish and still to wear a gardenia in the buttonhole of an artistic coat but fashions change quickly in the realm of light literature and the star of the author of nepenthe is sunk in the oblivion that engulfs ephemeral reputations castellani is still received in certain drawing-rooms but it is in the silly circles alone that he is believed in as a man who has only missed greatness because he is too much of an artist to be a steadfast worker end of chapters nine and ten of book three end of the fatal three by mary elizabeth braddon recorded by celine major